You might be wondering what the passage that I just read has to do with Christmas, 1 Timothy 1, 12-17. It's not a typical text that we often turn to when it comes to be Christmas time. But the answer is this. Why, what does this have to do with Christmas? This little passage tells us why Christ Jesus came into the world. We've heard many times that Christ Jesus was born, and we've heard many times where Christ came from, from heaven. He is the Son of God, the Word of God, who was with God and was God, the second person of the Trinity, very God of very God, as we sang earlier. So we know that Jesus came from heaven to earth, but why did He come to earth? And... Paul tells us very clearly, why did the Word become flesh and dwell among us? Look at verse 15. It tells us plainly, Christ Jesus came into the world, why? To save sinners. We'll explore two things tonight. This is not going to be a full-length message. But we will explore two things. One, how this verse should shape your understanding of Christianity. Two, how this verse should shape your understanding of your relationship to Christianity. First, how this verse should shape your idea of Christianity. Many people have misconceptions about what Christianity is. So when they hear about a church, they, one misconception is they basically think of a church as a club for good people. So basically... You know, the bars are where the drunkards hang out. You know, and the shopping malls are where where the shopping addicts hang out. And where do the good moral people hang out? At church. And so that's basically their view of Christianity. That it's basically this club for good people. If you're a good person, you join up with Christianity. You hang out at church with other good people that are like you. This is one misconception that people have of Christianity. Other people know full well that we Christians are not a uh, morally impeccable bunch. They know full well that we're not good people. And you talk to uh, enough people in evangelism, you try to tell them about Jesus, you try to invite them out to church, and inevitably, if you talk to enough people, this comes up. The church is full of hypocrites. You've heard that one before, I am quite certain. Because some people realize, no, 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 the church is not a club for good people. Some of the people in there are just as bad as me, if not worse. The church is no club for good people. But they still might think, but the church is where people are trying to be good. The church is where people are learning to be good. And so they basically think of Christianity as a program of moral transformation, moral change. So if you're, if you're overweight, if you need to increase your lung capacity, if you signed up for Run Barbados any other year than this year, this COVID year where it got canceled, and you know that the race is coming in December, where do you go? The gym. Likewise, if you're not where you want to be morally, but you, you have goals and you want to get there, then you sign up for Christianity. So some people know full well that the church is not just full of good people, but they, they basically think that that's where the people go that are trying to become good people. Just like the gym is where you go if you're trying to become a fit person. 
And so some people have that misconception of Christianity. In reality, Christianity is neither of those things. It's not a good people's club, nor is it a club for people who are trying to get good and become good. Neither one of those things is fundamentally what Christianity is or what church is. This verse teaches us that Christianity is actually for sinners. So the people who said, no, 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 the church has a lot of evil people in it, a lot of wicked people in it, a lot of sinful people in it, those hypocrites in the church, they're, ha- they're half right because we are sinners in here. We see here that Christ, the people that Christ Jesus came for are not actually good people. They're sinners. So by definition, Christianity involves then sinners. The people that are attaching themselves to Christ Jesus are going to be sinners. Now, sin can be defined as doing the things that we ought not to do or leaving undone the things that we ought to do. So we could take a standard like the Ten Commandments, which God gives us in His Word as a summary of all His commands. And we could say, sin would be doing the things that the Ten Commandments prohibit, or sin would be not doing the things that the Ten Commandments command. We could also take the two great commandments to love God and love your neighbor, which the Bible also says is an accurate summary of what God expects of us. And so we could say that sin is doing things that are unloving towards God and neighbor, or sin is failing to do those things which are loving towards God and towards neighbor. When we define sin this way, we actually realize that we're all sinners. Some people think of the world as basically there's good people and then there's sinners. And the sinners are people that rob banks, the people that we read about on TV, the people that Nation News reports to us have been sent to Dodds. Those are the sinners. And then there's the good people and the rest of society. But when we define sin properly, we realize that actually we are all sinners. <clears throat> and because we are sinners, we are in need of salvation. Ephesians 5 lists a whole bunch of sins. And then it says in Ephesians 5 verse 6, On account of these things, the wrath of God comes. So that's what sinners need to be saved from. The wrath of God which comes because of sin. God is not an unjust judge. Only an unjust judge would look at a defendant who's plainly and clearly guilty and say, well, yeah, but I kind of have a soft spot in my heart for him. So now I'm going to dismiss this case. Only an unjust judge would do that. And God is not an unjust judge. So he doesn't do that. God gives the sentence that sin deserves, which is death. We read in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. In other words, what we earn, what we deserve because of our sin is death. And so this is the punishment that is coming, physical death, and then what Revelation calls the second death, which is the eternal, ongoing destruction of our souls. Pain and torment in hell forever. The wrath of God poured out upon us. 
This is what we need saving from. So we're sinners. We're in need of salvation. And then those of us who are Christians, we are people who are not only sinners, people who are not only in need of salvation, but people who have actually been saved by Jesus. This is what Christians are. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Those people who have been saved by Jesus, those are Christians. Those are what Christians are. That's our identity. We're not a good people's club. Neither are we merely a club for people who are trying to get good. People who are trying to become good. What we are is a bunch of sinners who need saving and who in fact have been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, yes, by God's grace, He is actually transforming us and making us good. But it's not this self-change, this self-transformation process that we're in. It's we have trusted in Jesus and He saved us from the penalty of sin. The wrath of God which is coming. And because we have been saved by Jesus, because He first loved us, we love Him. And because we love Him, we, we hate the things now that He hates Namely, sin. So we're trying to turn away from it, and we're trying to be more like Jesus. And Jesus is not only saving us from the penalty of sin, He's saving us also from its power. And so He's given us His Holy Spirit to help us as we try to be more and more like Him. More and more in conformity to what He wants from us and demands from us as our King. And He has undertaken this project of transforming us the way that we might undertake the transformation, say, of an old car or something. It's not up to the car at the end of the day, ultimately, to change itself. But he who undertakes that transformation project will see it to completion. And so Jesus has saved us from sin's penalty. He's saving us from sin's power. And one day he will return and save us even from this environment, uh, this this present state of sin where even if we could get perfect theoretically here and now, we're still living in a broken world. But Jesus is coming to make all things new. And so Jesus is saving us from sin's penalty and sin's power and eventually even the presence of the atmosphere of sin in which we presently live. And so when we think about this simple phrase, Christ Jesus came to save sinners, what are Christians then? Sinners who were in need of salvation and who have actually been saved by Jesus. So don't think of it as the good people's club. And don't think of it as the club for people who are trying to get good. Think of it as the club for sinners who are getting saved by Jesus. That's what Christianity is. That's what the church is. Now, how this verse should shape your understanding of your relationship to Christianity. So the first point, which we just covered, was how this verse should shape your understanding of Christianity. What is Christianity? This next point is how this verse should shape your understanding of your relationship to Christianity. Remember that the church, Christianity, is not a good people's club. So if you actually think of yourself as a good person, not a sinner, newsflash, you're not a Christian. You don't understand Christianity. You are, fu you are fundamentally wrong 
about what Christianity even is. This is like showing up to the golf course with shin pads and a football ready to play. You're actually playing the wrong game. You don't even understand what it is that we're trying to do at church. You don't understand what church is. You don't understand what Christianity is inherently, uh, what it is, what its essence is. If you think that you're not a sinner, well then the mission of Christ has nothing to do with you because Christ Jesus came to save sinners. Christianity has nothing to do with you if you think that you're a good person, if you think that you're not a sinner. Now, maybe you do think of yourself as a sinner, but you're trying to mend your ways by your own efforts. You're trying to fix yourself, just simply trying harder to do better. You're listening to all the motivational podcasts. Here's seven new habits that you can cultivate every morning. Set your alarm clock a little bit earlier. Wake up, do this, do that, buy a planner. A little bit of willpower, a little bit of discipline. 2021 is going to be my year. I'm going to make some progress. I'm going to become a good person. Well, again, if Christianity is not fundamentally a self-improvement club, like the gym, for your spirit, for your soul, if that's not fundamentally what Christianity is, but that's fundamentally what you're doing and what you view it as, then again, you're barking up the wrong tree. You have no idea what Christianity is. You're, you're, you're missing the whole point. You're, you're off the path before you, you even get to the first mile mark. That's not what Christianity is. And if you are a person who's basically just trying to get better by your own efforts, your own willpower, your own discipline, you're not a Christian either. You are a Christian if and only if you understand yourself to be a sinner who needs salvation and who finds that salvation in Jesus Christ. It's as simple as that. Let me repeat that so that it's crystal clear. You are a Christian if and only if you understand yourself to be a sinner who is in need of salvation and who receives that salvation, looks to Christ for that salvation, receives that salvation from Christ. That's what a Christian is. Christ Jesus came to save sinners. Jesus came to live a perfect, sinless life, to do all of the things that you should have done but didn't, and to refrain from all the things that you shouldn't have done but did. In order that there might be a righteous substitute for you. In order that you could be clothed with a righteousness that's not your own. Namely His. He gives you His righteousness to wear, as it were, like a garment. His perfect record of obedience He, he puts on you like a coat. And you get to wear that. And then at the cross, what happened at Calvary as Jesus died was that He bore the wrath that comes because of sin. We talked earlier about that's what you need to be saved from. The wrath of God which comes on account of sin. At the cross, Jesus bore the wrath that sinners deserve. 
And so it is by looking to Him, trusting in Him, that we receive the righteousness that we need. It's by looking to Him, trusting in Him, that we receive the propitiation that we need. That's a big word, but it, it just means a wrath-diverting sacrifice. A, a, a sacrifice that turns away God's wrath from you. Jesus became the lightning rod, as it were, so that you don't get hit by lightning. By trusting in Him, we are saved from the penalty of sin. When we trust in Him, we are given His Holy Spirit to seal us, as Ephesians chapter 1 says. Romans 8 emphasizes this point. If you do not have the Spirit of Christ, you do not belong to Christ. So everyone, this is good news, everyone who has been saved from sin's penalty also has the Holy Spirit living in them. And God has undertaken to make us like Christ Jesus. Romans 8 says that we were predestined to be made like Christ Jesus, to be conformed to His image. And the Bible tells us that one day Jesus is returning to make all things new and the dwelling place of God will be with man. And so one day you will be saved from the very presence of sin. If your understanding is that you are a sinner that needs that kind of multifaceted rescue, that kind of multifaceted salvation, and you're looking to Jesus to do all that for you, you're a Christian. That's what Christianity is. So be real clear about what Christianity is, and then look in the mirror and, and ask yourself, what do I think Christianity is? Do I have the right definition of Christianity in my mind? How do I approach the Christian life? What do I think of the Christian life as being? If it's not what I just described, it's not Christianity at all. But if you do understand that, if you understand, yes, I'm a sinner, but I'm being saved by Christ Jesus, then you got it. It's a real simple message, isn't it? Christ Jesus came to save sinners. That's why He came into the world. That's what He came to do. If you realize, based upon what I just said, that you are not a Christian, this passage should actually be very, very encouraging to you. You know why? Because it shows you that Christ is willing to save you. Where do we see that? What does Paul say immediately after telling us why Jesus came? He says, Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. And then what does he say? Of whom I am the foremost. Now, some people say that this is just the way that every Christian speaks. That we just basically all think of ourselves as just the worst, Christ, the worst sinner ever. But I don't think that that's the right way to interpret this passage. Because look at what Paul goes on to say. He says, but I received mercy. And then, etc., etc., etc. That in me, as the foremost... Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. You see that? The logic of Paul is that I was actually such a bad sinner. Remember back to verse 13. Formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. Paul actually literally was a murderer. He literally went around opposing Jesus in every possible way that he could. 
with vehemence, with the totality of his being, he was against Jesus. And he wanted to kill Christians. And he literally did kill many Christians. It's like if Osama bin Laden had been converted before he died. Or something like that. Like This is like a terrorist. Somebody who actually hates Jesus. Who hates the people of God and wants to kill them. That's what Paul was. And so, so when he says, Jesus Christ came to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. He's literally putting himself up there was like the worst of sinners. And he's saying, but I receive mercy in order to show, to highlight the willingness of Christ Jesus to save. As an example, God made an example of me. If God is willing and able even to save a terrible sinner like me, like I'm the foremost, the logic is then how much more willing will he be to save you? Everyone who reads about me is going to know Just how willing and able God is to save really bad sinners. This is the logic here. So if you are not a Christian, if you realize, man, I've been thinking wrongly about this. I've had a misconception of Christianity and I'm realizing that tonight. This should be an encouraging passage to you because you see that Christ Jesus is not really come only for small sinners, only for little sinners, only for those who have missed the mark by a small margin. Christ Jesus came to save even big sinners, even foremost sinners. And Paul is an example of that principle. So be encouraged, actually, if you are an unbeliever, that should you be prepared to go to Christ Jesus and willing and ready to go to him, he will most certainly receive you. And not cast you out. You can go to the bank on that. If you are a Christian, you realize that you are what a comfort this is as you make your way oh ever so imperfectly through this life. You realize if you're honest with yourself that you sin every day. You can't, I guarantee you can't even get to bed tonight without sin. For real. Because sin isn't just the really, really bad things that you do. It's even down to the thoughts and the intentions of your heart. And so you sin not only day by day, but hour by hour. And so do I. And when we really start to see this, when we really start to examine our lives in light of God's holy and perfect law, we see just how much remaining corruption there still is. But what does it say in Philippians? He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion, will carry it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. God is not going to give up on you just because you're a sinner. In fact, it's the very fact that you are a sinner which prompted Christ Jesus to come for you in the first place, to come and save you. And so be comforted in the midst of your sin that Christ Jesus has come for people like you To save you not only from its penalty, but also from its power. And one day from its presence. Martin Luther, the famous reformer, said that Satan often accuses me that I am a sinner. But when he does, he brings great comfort to me. Because I quote to him this verse from 1 Timothy. Christ Jesus came to save sinners. And so he reassures me that Christ Jesus came for me. 
This should be a great comfort to you, Christian, as you make your way through this life. If any man is in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Most certainly that is true, isn't it? We've been born again. There is new life in Christ. But isn't it also true what Paul says in Romans 7? Wretched man that I am, the things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, that I do. We're living in this tension between the already and the not yet. Yes, in one sense we've been made new, but we still struggle with a lot of oldness. One day, all things will be entirely, completely, fully made new. Until then, hang on to this promise that Christ Jesus came to save sinners and keep looking to Him, keep trusting Him as you make your way through this life. That's what Christianity is. It's the salvation of sinners in and through the person of Christ Jesus from the penalty, the power, and the presence of sin. And this is good news. This is gospel. Every year when we celebrate that Jesus was born, I hope you never forget why Jesus was born. The baby born in Bethlehem so long ago was born in order to save sinners. Sinners like you and sinners like me.